Now, there is a point to that which I'll explain in a moment. But first of all, it's been estimated that the average person says 18,000 words per day. That's almost enough for a book, 18,000 words. Now, looking around, I think we've probably got some high achievers in this whole area, in this room today. Uh, I reckon some of you probably get closer to 30,000 words in a day. In fact, let's put this to the test. If you know someone who you think maybe speaks a little too much, put your hand up now. Okay, keep your hand up if you are sitting next to that person. (laughs) A few people brave enough to say it. Now, here's the point. There is a point. Our words are rather like toothpaste. They are so incredibly easy to get out, but they are so incredibly difficult to take back again. Probably all of us in this room have learned this lesson the hard way. All of us in our lives have said things in the past that maybe just a millisecond after we said them, we wish we could just reach out, grab them, and somehow suck them back in again. Some of your most embarrassing moments are times when you said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Some of the most destructive moments in your life relationally have been when you let something slip that as soon as you said it and you saw the look in the eye of the person you were speaking to, you knew you'd done damage and there was no way to claw it back, no way to erase it. And I guess we all know the futility of saying, well, I didn't mean it the way it sounded. I mean, we've never said, I didn't mean it the way it sounded and have someone say, oh, that's okay then. As you look back on some of your most embarrassing moments, maybe some of your most painful moments, probably they have been caused by something you blurted out, something you said. Now, if you've been around for the last month or so, you'll know that slowly but surely we're working our way through the book of James together. And it's pretty evident, as we've been reading through the book of James, that he was writing to some people who had serious problems controlling damaging words that were coming out of their mouths. It's kind of like a repeated theme throughout this letter. So, for example, back in chapter 1, verse 19, James pleads that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Later on in chapter 1, in verse 26, he warns, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In chapter 4, verse 1, he asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He urges them in verse 11 of chapter 4, brothers, sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And in chapter 3, which we're going to be taking a closer look at today, James devotes 12 whole verses to addressing the negative power of our words. So if you've got a Bible with you and if you haven't flicked to it yet already, maybe you could open it to the book of James. As I've said already, we're going to be in chapter 3. I want to just dive straight in and pick up what James says from verse 1. Verse 1 of James 3, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged 
more strictly. He's saying, if you're going to be a preacher, if you're going to teach others, you are going to be held accountable for what you say. I'll tell you, that petrifies me. It's like every time I get up here and preach, which is most Sundays, it's like God is taking notes of everything I say and he's going to judge me accordingly, which is why I'm more than tempted right now to stop talking, close in prayer, and let's just all go home, which will please those who want to see the Grand Prix or the football. But James goes on, and he takes the focus off the person preaching, and he goes on and addresses all of us. Verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man. He's able to keep his whole body in check. In other words, if you never misuse words in any way, if you never utter words that wound or hurt others, or words of slander or gossip or rumor or cursing people, if you never ever grumble, if you never ever complain, if you never get angry or show rage with your words, then according to James here, you are perfect. And you can close your Bible right up. You can leave right now. Thank you for coming. So glad that someone as perfect as you was with us today. But no one's leaving. So I guess we all know how difficult it is to control our tongue. In fact, as James goes on to point out, it's like our tongues control the whole course of our lives. And he gives us some pretty vivid examples to illustrate how this happens. Verse 3, when we put bits in the mouths of horses, horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, for those who aren't so familiar with all things equestrian, all you need, which is me, but all you I've been doing my research this week, all you need to do to control a huge, powerful horse is take just a small four or five inch piece of metal and put it in the mouth of the horse. And just, it's that simple, apparently, a diagram to illustrate the fact. And just with that small bit, you can apparently steer the horse wherever you want it to go. And then, in case kind of horses don't really do it for us and we didn't quite get the message, James gives us a second example. Verse 4, he says, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. You're going to have this massive ship out on the open sea, and it can be fighting against the winds and against the waves. But just with a small rudder, the pilot or the captain can maneuver that giant ship wherever it needs to go. James is saying, look, your tongue might seem small and insignificant, but it has tremendous power. It has huge influence. Your career, your family, your relationships, everything is directed by your tongue. So if you could just get it under control, your life would be so much better. And then James gives us a third example which just shifts the focus ever so slightly. Verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. I think the point that James makes with the two examples of the bit and the rudder, the point he's making with those examples is that our words have tremendous power to dictate the shape of our whole life. This third example of the spark, I think, highlights the huge power our words have to shape other people's lives in a destructive way. I mean, just think how much damage a spark or a match can do. As James says, it can burn down a whole forest. It, it, it could burn down this entire building. It could, it, if the wind was in the right direction and the materials were in the right places, it could destroy a whole city. If, if it's out of control, it could do untold damage to whatever environment it's in. But James says, that's what our tongue is like. Our tongue has the potential to do unbelievable damage wherever we go. Now, I want you to imagine, surreal as this sounds, I had a machine with me today that could kind of do a spiritual MRI scan on your tongue. Okay, so you imagine that. I've got this machine with me right now. Just to try and make this really practical, I want to take a few moments to think about some of the conditions that my imaginary spiritual MRI scan might expose in your tongue. I wonder how many of us, if I was to kind of put this machine against your tongue, I wonder how many of us might have words of gossip or slander shown up by it. Something magnetic, isn't there, about gossip. Something kind of seductive about slander. I guess that's why people have this insatiable desire for the tabloids and the glossy magazines that kind of fill the newsagent shelves. Slander sells. The, the endless hours of verbal speculation about Cheryl Cole, about the Duchess of York, about Ronan Keating, about Sarah Jessica Parker. It, it's just a public indication of the kind of things that we talk about privately, normally behind people's backs. Proverbs 26, verse 22, says that the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. When juicy pieces of information come our way, it's as though we devour them. We we take them in, and, and then we just have to share them with others as well, regardless of how much damage we do to other people in the whole process. Now, James here talks about the tongue because the tongue was the primary vehicle that communicated words back in his day. I think maybe if he was writing today, he'd probably have to write about more than just the tongue. He'd have to write about emails. He'd have to write about blogs. He'd have to include texting. He'd have to write about Facebook. He'd have to write about internet chat rooms. It's like, for some reason, from behind a computer screen people feel suddenly able to say things with words they would never say to someone's face. And those words get posted on websites for anybody and everybody to read. And those emails, those messages, those texts we thought were confidential get forwarded to hundreds of people who forward them potentially to hundreds of other people. And uh, and the words end up cutting so deeply. Now look, in whatever form it takes... Slander is just a pure, unadulterated attempt 
to destroy someone else's reputation for the sheer perverse pleasure of just ripping someone down. I don't know, maybe by ripping them down, by tearing them down. We, we feel like somehow we build ourselves up. I want to appeal to you. Don't do it. Don't do it. It is so destructive. I, I want you to watch what you say, watch what you text, watch what you communicate through Facebook or whatever. Avoid gossip. Have nothing to do with slander. I want to know another thing that might show up on an MRI scan of the tongue. Here it is. Broken confidences. Broken confidences. You ever told something of significance to a friend in confidence? Only to have them repeat it to others, maybe just for prayer, and before long, it seems like everybody else knows. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. Proverbs 21, verse 19 says... A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. It's like, over the course of time, you just kind of learn who you can trust and who you can't. If I'm being honest, there are some people in my life over the years that I love very much, but I've learned they can't handle confidential information. And it, it, it makes me sad because I like to be closer to them than I am. I, I like to have a closer friendship, closer relationship than I have. But it's too dangerous. So tragic. They're always going to miss out on having healthy, long-lasting friendships because everyone has to be so careful what they say about them or say around them. Another thing I might show up on the MRI scan of some of us. It's grumbling and complaining and moaning. I know maybe you're saying, get real. I mean, come on. You're just getting a little kind of trivial here. I mean, I want some meat today. I mean, this this is just kind of meaningless. What's the big deal with this? Now, if you don't think that this is a big deal, if you don't think that grumbling is really that important, Let's consider the example of the Israelites in the Old Testament. If you remember, God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Delivered them, set them free from poverty, from forced labor, from brutal taskmasters. God God gave them a cloud to guide them by day, a pillar of fire by night. God parted, if you remember, the Red Sea so that they could go through it on dry land. And and he gave them water to drink from a rock. And miraculously, he provided food which, which came down from the sky. And so you would have thought they would have been the most grateful people on the planet. But they grumbled, and they moaned, and they complained all the time. They'd say to Moses, back in Egypt, we had the most wonderful food. Now all we get is this manna from heaven that comes down every night to feed us. We're just sick and tired of it. I mean, there are only so many things you can do with manna. After a while, you run out of fresh ideas. 1 Corinthians 10 The Apostle Paul is reviewing this whole wilderness experience of the people of Israel. Here's what he says. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. That's how serious grumbling is to God. Listen, we are so incredibly blessed. 
But we have so much to be grateful for. Want to think about it. As we were celebrating earlier, while we were still sinners, while we were still far away from God, Jesus died for us. He made a way once and for all for us to know forgiveness, for for all of our past, all the things we're ashamed of, all of our sin, to, to be blotted out, for us to have relationship with God, and for us to be able to be one with one another. All the divisions, all the barriers, all the things that get in the way of our relationships with others here on earth, through the cross, Jesus has made a way for us to be friends together. And even now, he sends his Holy Spirit to us, giving us power to live out what he calls us to, to do. He, he gives us hope for the future, the prospect of spending eternity with him. So much he's done for us. And yet we grumble. We grumble about our clothes. Grumble about our jobs. We grumble about our car. We grumble about our spouse. We grumble about the church. And eventually, it will lead to our downfall. It will lead to our destruction. This is sobering stuff. And so I want you to be honest. I want you to come clean with yourself. What do you think would show up on an imaginary MRI scan of your tongue? Slander? Gossip? Broken confidences? Grumbling? Maybe exaggeration? Or dishonesty? Or stretching the truth? Maybe it's raging words. Maybe it's expressed in choice four-letter words, swearing. Maybe it's expressed in the jokes that we tell. Maybe it's the careless use of God's name. Maybe you've managed to develop a bilingual tongue, and you have one set of words that you use when you're around one group of people, and a whole different set of words that you use when you're around a different set of people. What would an MRI scan reveal about your tongue? What would it highlight? What would it expose? What would it show up? Now I know the temptation for all of us is to say, but they're just words. I mean, come on, it's just benign. It's no big deal. I think James knew we'd be tempted to react that way. And so after this imaginary MRI, it's like he says in the next few verses, let's take a biopsy of your tongue. And let's just see how benign these words really are. Just look at some of the images James uses to describe our tongues. Verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Do you know what he's saying? I want you to think about this. James says that inside us, We have this world of evil. There is no evil in the world that couldn't be initiated by words. Wars have been caused just by words. Murders 
have been committed because of words. All kinds of destruction have been initiated just by words. So your tongue may seem pretty small and insignificant, but there is no limit to what might happen if you don't keep it under control. Right now, all of us in this room have the potential to unleash a whole stream, a whole torrent of damage. I mean, right now, with this microphone strapped onto me, I could say words that ruin my whole reputation. Or on the way home today, you could destroy your whole family just with your words. When you go into the office on Tuesday morning, within a quarter of an hour, you could have wrecked your entire career just by unleashing the wrong kinds of words. By lunchtime, no one would ever employ you again. I could ruin your whole reputation just with words. Not truth, just words. You could get together. I'm not suggesting you do this. I'm not trying to kind of present different applications for this message. But you could get together with two or three people and completely wreck my reputation just with your words. You could wreck the reputation of this church just with words. Not necessarily truth, just words. It's like our tongue has an unbelievable negative potential. It just has. Now, let's face it. This isn't necessarily news to a lot of us. Guess there are any number of people here today who could come up to the front and, and tell their own story of how their words or how the words of others have wreaked absolute havoc. You've got stories of your own, plenty of them. But the truth is, a lot of us are also very good at making excuses. We say things like, well, it wasn't really my fault. I didn't mean to. I was just mad. Or I was just drunk. Or I was just being honest. I mean, someone had to say it. And so we burn up families. We burn up friendships. We burn up business relationships just with our words. And granted, they caught us at a wrong moment, or I inherited a temper, or whatever our excuse is. But according to James, the bottom line is, our words are like fire. And every one of us in this room, myself included, has the potential to destroy others just with our tongue. Now, does that sound like a benign little cyst that can easily just be cut out? No. James says we are dealing with a pervasive malignancy inside of us. His language here isn't mild. It's not restrained. Just listen to some of the things he says. He says, it's a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. It corrupts the whole person. It's potentially fatal. It, it can set the course of your whole life on fire. And according to James, ultimately, it is set on fire by hell. This is serious stuff. So what should we do? What is the solution to all of this? Just listen again to verse 7, what James says here. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed. They've been tamed by man. We can put them in cages. We can stick them between glass. We, we do other things to control them. But no one, no one can tame the tongue. James says, no one can tame the tongue. You can't tame it. 
I can't tame it. Well, we can tame any kind of animal, but no one yet has found a way of taming the tongue. The message is, and it's a pretty hopeless one, nobody can tame the tongue in their own strengths or in their own power. And then he goes on, verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. He says, it's even worse than you thought. You come in here on a Sunday morning and you worship God and you express your love and your devotion to him. And then you go home and lose your temper with your wife or your kids. Or you go to work and lose it with your colleagues. Or you go out with your mates and fire off abuse at them. One minute, we're using our tongue to praise God. The next, we're using it to curse or defame or criticize or make sly innuendo of another human being that's made in the very same image of God. It's completely unpredictable. It's out of control. And there is no natural solution. Verse 11, James says, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He's saying, again, it is even worse than you think. He's saying, there is nothing like this in all of nature. Fresh water springs produce fresh water. Fig trees produce figs. Grapevines produce grapes. It's predictable. You know what you're going to get. But that's not quite how it works with the tongue. It's like you never know. There's nothing like it in nature. And then he just stops. And he goes on to a completely different subject. And you're going, help. I mean, you've helped me see all the destruction I'm causing in my life and in the lives of the people around me. Now what do I do? What's the solution to all of this? You're looking for James to to give you some guidance, to to kind of lead you through all of this, to to provide some kind of application, maybe an ABC for sorting out your tongue. But there's none of that. He just moves on to the next subject. Some of you husbands, your wife is sitting next to you right now, and she is secretly praying that you are listening to all of this because she's a burn victim. It's like she's walking on eggshells the whole time, waiting for the next explosion. And she's hoping, I'm about to give you three quick steps to control your tongue. Wives, maybe your husband is doing some praying of his own at the moment. He's hoping you're listening. Maybe he's kind of just discreetly nudging you because it's like you're killing him. He arrives home at the end of the day. He doesn't know what he's going to face, what he's going to hear. One day the fig tree is producing figs, the next it's as though it's producing olives. It is completely unpredictable. Your your husband never knows what's going to come out of your mouth next. Some of you parents, when your kids come home from school, they don't know what to expect. Are you proud of them or mad at them? Did they do good 
Or did they do bad? It's a completely unpredictable environment. They're, they're desperate for you to hear the conclusion to all of this. Maybe as they kind of listen to it on the podcast later, they'll kind of play it out loud in their room so you hear what I'm saying right now, hoping that, that you will find out what to do differently. And James just changes the subject. He doesn't tell us what to do. What's he playing at? Why doesn't he offer us some advice? Here's what I think. If you have a problem with your tongue, it's far more serious than you think. That's what James has shown us. It it, it exposes a far deeper problem. So it's not as straightforward as just following three simple steps and everything will be fine. If only it was that simple. But sadly it's not. Let's listen to how Jesus puts it in Luke 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. See the parallels with what James is saying. A fig tree doesn't produce olives. A thorn bush doesn't produce figs. And a good heart doesn't produce evil words. In other words, what comes out of our mouth is an indication of what is really going on inside our heart. What comes out of our mouth is an index of what's going on in our character. It's like our tongues expose us. Our tongues give us away. So, I can't excuse myself when when little words slip out by just saying, oops, I may have lost it with him, or I may have sworn at God again, or I may have wounded her, or I may have spread a rumor, I, I may have grumbled a little bit, but that was very much out of character for me. I don't know where that came from. I can't say that, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can't just write off my careless words as a lack of self-control or a little slip of the tongue. I have to say there is something not right inside of me. Something is wrong inside me. In James 3, verse 14, just later on in this chapter, James describes those who harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, notice, in their hearts. Show me someone who speaks critical words and I'll show you someone who is full of bitterness and resentment and even hate in their heart. Show show me someone who, who speaks with dishonest words and I'll show you someone who has a deceitful heart. Show me someone who speaks with harsh words and I'll show you someone who's become calloused in his or her heart. You see, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the heart of the problem 
is a problem of the heart. We're not talking so much about a speech problem. We're talking about a spiritual problem. So let me ask you, how's your speech? How's your speech? And what does it reveal about the state of your heart? It's hard to admit, but do you have a heart problem? Do you urgently need some spiritual cardiovascular work right now? But if you do, I want you to just listen again to what Jesus says at the end of this passage in Luke 6. Verse 45, Jesus says, Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. In other words, what you drink in is what you'll live out. What you store up in your heart is what will inevitably come out of your mouth. Allow bad stuff into your heart, anger, hurt, resentment, unforgiveness, self-hatred, bitterness, greed, lust, selfishness. And what's going to come out of your mouth is inevitably going to be bad. However hard you try, you, you won't be able to control your tongue. No one can. That's James' point. We can't do it ourselves. We need our hearts changed. We, we need to be transformed on the inside. And only God can do that. If we'll invite him to. It's like we need to receive his forgiveness for the things we've said. We need to take hold, seize hold, feed ourselves on his grace and his mercy. And we need to regularly receive his Holy Spirit who empowers us to do what we can't do in our own strength. Don't miss this. It is the Spirit of God at work inside us, at work in our hearts that can lead us to producing good fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the things that flow from the mouths of people who are full of God and full of his Holy Spirit. And so I want to invite him to come right now and fill us up. So if you understand, I'd like us to pray.